Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. You've probably heard about developing a client persona, but today's guests have dug into it deeper than most firms and gotten real rewards as a result. We're talking today with Joe Martin and Alex Katz of the Golub Group in the San Francisco Bay Area of California. It's a 15-year-old firm with $1.6 billion of assets under management, 1,000 clients, and 10 advisors. They really got behind the idea of putting together a client persona and involved the whole team in doing it. And once they had, they saw real results in several areas of their business. In our conversation, we'll learn how that persona helped them put into context what their most prized new clients value most, how it helped them refine their marketing and tailor their services, how it even helped them discover the right role for tools and technologies that will appeal most to the clients they most want to attract. It even helped them show their referral partners who best to introduce to them. It's a very interesting conversation and an exploration into what a well-thought-out client persona can do for your firm. And so here now is our conversation with Joe Martin and Alex Katz. So Joe Martin and Alex Katz, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. We're so glad you could join us. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you very much, Julie and Steve. So Joe, let me start with you. Um, tell us a little bit about the Golub Group. Give us a little lay of the land. Who, who are the clients that you work with and, and what, uh, what kinds of things do you do for them? Uh, so the Golub Group is an independent wealth management firm. We have about 33 employees, about 1.6 billion in assets under management and a little fewer than 1,000 clients. And these are individuals and families that primarily live in Silicon Valley and in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, we also manage money for some endowments and in foundations. The work we do with clients, it's financial planning, it's investment management services. And I think one of the things that makes us unique, at least, is that um, we have an in-house uh, portfolio management and research team that selects individual securities for clients. Um, and we have a team of 10 financial advisors and 14, or excuse me, four uh, financial planning associates. And these are the, this is the team of certified financial planners and registered paraplanners that work directly with the clients doing the financial planning. And then on the uh, investment team, uh, they are, nearly all of them are chartered financial analysts. So I mean, when we think about what we do for clients, I mean, we, we think that the work we are doing with them is really just about helping them navigate the complexities and the craziness of living in a place like the Bay Area. Okay, great. And, you know, we, we had the opportunity to um, to work together before, Joe. I, I came out and, and worked with you on doing some client advisory board meetings. And uh, we, we, we turned up some interesting things in those meetings. Can you tell us a little bit about what some of the biggest things were that you learned from your board? Uh, yeah, and I think, you know, I would like to start out by saying that I think one of the things that made that entire initiative so effective was the was really the structure that Steve you helped us put to it. Um, I mean, I mean, from everything to who should be on the board to you coming out and facilitating those conversations so that we could really be there and listen or be listeners to what our clients were sharing, but then also summarizing everything that we heard back and communicating it out to them and and back to the firm and all of the things that we needed to do to put in place following that to just make it 
feel or you know it was a good use of their time it was a good use of our time and just really effective and i think i just want to highlight three things that i that we that i think are the most valuable things that we learned um and we talked a lot about in all of the interactions that we have with clients from meetings to calls to events what are the things that they were talking with us about that were most valuable to them we heard from them um about what's meaningful to them. So what should be in the meetings? What should we be talking about with them? Um, but also, I think firms like us are talking a lot these days about adding a lot of technology solutions and platforms and portals. And what came out loud and clear from them was, you know, these things are all fine and good, but what we appreciate most or value most is the conversations and the brainstorming we have with you. So when you're adding these things, make sure that it's about enhancing those conversations. We in no way, shape, or form want those to replace the conversations. Uh, and I think thirdly, we did we did talk with them about um, how do we specifically serve them and what should our target client be? We talked about that. And they gave us a lot of feedback about what made us unique and how we serve them and so who we should be looking to serve especially well. So. Um, and, and Alex, maybe I can just address this to you, but um, Joe just mentioned the target client and who you serve. So today, how do you actually define your ideal? And it would be interesting to see how that evolved, perhaps, as a result of the feedback. Yeah, absolutely. The feedback was uh, a key component in developing our target persona. And then we had a, a rigorous process that rounded out the uh, development of this fictional family. But I think that's the the most important thing that I would say just to start to describe our target persona, rather than going down the path of just coming up with a laundry list of demographic descriptors, we actually created a fictional family. Their name are the Hamlins. Uh, it's Dave and Catherine Hamlin. They've got a 12 and 15 year old kids named Abby and Sam. They live in Palo Alto, California, uh, right up the street from our headquarters. Dave is a 48-year-old executive at a tech company, and uh, Catherine uh, has spent her entire career in technology and recently went to launch a startup. So again, rather than saying, hey, these are people in their prime earning years and they have RSU income and ESPPs and concerns about their you know, paying for their kids' college and those sorts of things, we really attempted to bring them to life so that we not only captured the demographics, but we also could begin to capture the psychographics and really understand what mattered to this fictional family. And it's been incredibly empowering to to see these Hamlins come to life. We actually found a uh, a picture on on Google of a representative family that we kind of named the Hamlins. And when we rolled this out to the firm, we actually put a little picture of our fake Hamlins on everyone's desk, just as a, a reminder that this is the, uh, the, the family that we serve. That's awesome. Yeah, that's the... That's the Hamlins. It's like going to the store and buying the picture frames with the pictures already in them, you know, and then just hanging those on the wall, right? That's right. Well, and that, that's, um, well, this is, and this is why we're excited to talk with you is because, you know, there are a lot of us out there who have been preaching about the idea of putting together a client persona, but we don't get an opportunity to talk to very many firms that have really gotten behind the idea as thoroughly as you had. And I understand from you that you've, you've had some really interesting 
um, outcomes as a result of going through this whole process and having this. But before we get to that, how how did you? What started you on the on the road down uh, creating a client persona in the first place? Yeah, that one's a it's pretty straightforward. But I, I mean, I think fundamental to creating any entrepreneurial offer is answering the question of who is your target audience? Who, who, who do you serve? What do they ultimately care about? And then how can you build an offer that is specifically relevant, effective, compelling to that target audience? So, you know, at a human level, it really means knowing what makes your target persona tick. And then once you have that, so many other elements of what you do just come into clear focus. So for us, it was start with the fundamental and then work at a strategic level of bringing it to life. So because a lot of people are not familiar with necessarily what personas are, could you just give us the quick definition, your words, what is the difference between a target and a persona? So uh, ultimately, it's all just a way of answering the question, who is the person that you serve or people that you serve? And, And I think the layer below that is, what do they care about? What are their concerns? And and knowing intimately what a specific group of people cares about allows you to be so much more focused in the way you build a client experience, build a planning offer, build a portfolio design, create your marketing. Everything ties back to having a target persona at the end of the day. And I, I don't want I don't want to oversimplify this, but when I think about persona, just the word persona versus target i mean it humanizes it uh, it's it, it's it is that person that human being on the other side of the table that yeah who we're there to take care of so i, I just like how persona pers- humanizes yeah uh, i was i was gonna say a, a target i you know sort of comes you know, when, when you're just dealing with statistics and demographics it comes across as a little sterile and it sounds like these personas you know they're you start thinking of them as actual people you absolutely do, down to the point of, okay, if this is our target persona, what magazines do we have in the waiting room? Because what do they care about? What do they want to read? You don't get that if you just are working with a list of demographics, but you get that when you start to bring this this fictional family to life and really understand, again, what they care about. So what are the Hamlins yeah. reading these days? What are the Hamlins reading? It's all tech, tech executive <laughs> magazines. No, it's tech executive. It's parenting. It's and then it's you know concerns about their aging parents. It's it's uh, at the end of the day, it's navigating the craziness of life in the Bay Area, and there are an endless list of concerns. You know, we we don't want to be too hyper, you know, Bay Area focused by saying that life in the Bay Area is completely unique. We know that the 48-year-old executives all over the country in any urban center are going to have a similar list of concerns that they're dealing with. And yet in the Bay Area, things tend to just be exaggerated, tied to cost of living and uh, you know the, the tech sector and the pressure of your neighbors uh, you know, going to work for some startup and all of those sort of... Uh, you know, unique concerns of, of the ecosystem in which we live. Now, I think one of the things that's interesting about how you undertook this project, Joe mentioned that you have 10 advisors there. And, and I, and I, if, if uh, I believe that when you 
talked about how you brought these things together, that uh, you involved a lot of the people there in actually developing the persona. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of designing this profile? Yeah, and you know, going back a little bit to one of the questions Julie asked earlier too about some of the feedback from the client advisory board. You know, we took initial steps to define uh, this persona, and one of the pieces of feedback for them was it just didn't capture the warmth of who we are with our clients. And you know, you hear a lot about us talking about this 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 persona. We're we're calling it a family. Uh, so. You know, we, we went back in this process. We, I mean, we took a step back and we asked, coming back from the client advisory board, asked the advisors, you know, who, talk about, tell us about your best client relationships. And, and not, not necessarily on who the clients you like the most, but, but those who you feel like you are adding the most substantive value to, like the ones that you're able to take care of the best. Um, up to this point. And then we said, well, think about who that should be going forward. Um, where is it the same? Where is it different? And so all of that initially provided a lot of helpful uh, perspective for the leadership team when we then went back in the, uh, the, the room to put all of this together and really hash out who should this be? Um, what is the direction we should take? And, and what, what are the subtleties of this person or this family that we should be going to going to, to target. Um, so we based it on, uh, a, you know, a, a, what what they shared with us. And then we also we also um, we worked a lot with uh, Schwab's practice management team. They have a program uh, to help firms uh, work through this process and figure out all of the, the demographics, the psychographics and a lot of those things that Alex talked about. And so then, um, with all of that in mind, we went to work and we defined who it was from from soup. And all in, just because some of your listeners might be interested, I think it was about a three month process from the time that we declared, "Hey, we want to come up with a target persona," to really coming to an agreement that the Hamlins were it. And so now you've got the Hamlins in everybody's head and in the frame on the desk. What were some of the outcomes of that? I mean, how did that defining that then translate into changing this? Yeah, Julie, they're, they're all over the firm. And, you know, the picture of the Hamlins, I think, is most emblematic of the most significant impact, which was the, the impact of the internal conversations that are happening. So before we started changing anything about our offer or our marketing or our client experience, we, we had an opportunity to get the entire firm together, talk about why having a target persona was important, and then, you know, what it means to our future, and, and introduce the Hamlins and have people really ask questions, you know, challenge components of, of what we'd built into this target persona. And, and I will say the, the Hamlins as a definition have certainly evolved since that initial conversation with the team. But, but most importantly here and most meaningfully, having the Hamlins gave us a filter against which we can evaluate any strategic decision that that we make going forward. And in the year since we rolled out the Hamlins, if it gets brought up, I don't want to say daily, but certainly weekly. 
in strategy meetings, team meetings, you know, we bring a new client through the door. It's, hey, we, we brought in a new Hamlin client. Uh, it's, hey, what would the Hamlins care about when we're talking about enhancements to our planning offer? So it's, it's very much become part of our ongoing conversation. And, and so tell us, you, you said that as once you rolled it out to the advisors, you know, there, there was some evolution that went on as, as people talked about it. What, what kinds of things evolved from those conversations? Well, you know, I would say one of the, the biggest uh, changes early on was when we were working with the Schwab Consulting team, as Joe mentioned, their strong push is you choose one individual. It's not a family, you know, and for a while, oh, really? we were, yeah, no, it was, it was Dave Hamlin for quite a while. Oh. And toward the end of the process, the, candidly, the leadership team, it just didn't feel right to us that it was just Dave because that wasn't representative of the kind of relationships that we have with our clients. And we sort of argued the, uh, the point with the Schwab team and said, look, you know, for, for many of your, your RIAs that you work with, it's going to be just one, but for us, it needs to be the family. And uh, then it became Dave and Catherine and Abby and Sam. And uh, I think that was probably the most significant change in the evolution. Interesting. So one just quick question, and because I want to dive further into this, but I know that many folks listening to this will be asking, what about the people who aren't the Hamlins? Um, does this help you say no to people who don't fit? And what about those existing clients who don't fit into this persona? Yeah, so uh, the, the way we rolled this out to the firm and the way we still think about this is that, you know, picture your classic target bullseye. And uh, the, the Hamlins are dead center bullseye on the target, but there are rings going out from the bullseye. And those are clients that we can serve very, very well as well. So we want to roll out or we want it to roll out the Hamlins to give us focus uh, and to give us you know, more of a path forward. And yet, you know, I, I think that a lot of your listeners are probably sitting here going, well, I don't want to commit to just one kind of client that I want to work with. And and we still serve many, many clients who fit outside of the classic definition of who the Hamlins are. So it's not about necessarily turning down clients who come our way. What it is about is if we're going to go out and develop a new strategic partnership, we're going to look at that partnership through the lens of is this going to bring us more Hamlins or is this just going to bring us more clients? And so that's where you get the real power from a business development standpoint, which I think is really the, the core of your question. And, and if, and if uh, memory serves, I believe that once you started working on this, um, is it, do I remember it correctly that, that uh, your, you, I, you discovered that your target client, the Hamlins, was not the same as your average client? You know, it's true. I mean, uh, our, a lot of our clients are are um, not Hamlins, but our and this kind of gets. I wanted to get to Julie's question with this too. The a lot of the clients who aren't Hamlins, they have their children are Hamlins, um, and so I think as we we and as we've done a lot of work over the years, also with client segmentation and and and. Uh, just the service level agreements we have with our various clients, we've looked at how do we in, we enhance the advisor's ability to take care of the concerns that are the Hamlin's concerns, 
but how does that also take care? Those are, there's some of the concerns are similar to their parents' concerns, but we can go back and forth. We can help the parents. We can help the kids. We can help the grandkids. It really is about a multi-generational relationship as well. And Steve, I, I think that there's kind of a jumping off the cliff element to your question too, where any firm that starts as more of a generalist RIA that's working, you know, you've got your minimum and you're working with clients who meet that minimum. If at some point in the evolution, and our firm's been around for 15 years, if at some point in the evolution you say, you know what, we want to have a target persona now, you, you need to acknowledge that quite a few of your existing clients are certainly going to be outside of the narrow definition of your new target. And yet you need to have that gut check and say, we've taken great care of these clients for a decade and a half. Right. We're going right. to continue to take great care of those clients. And yet going forward, we just want to have a higher degree of focus. An- another aspect of that too, is that I, you know, it, um, I think some, sometimes advisors forget that, that, there are, they may have very powerful things that draw their target clients to them. But once they've had a, a business for 10 or 15 years like you have, that um, when you look at the clients that you have and the massive clients that you have, you forget that you didn't attract them the way they are. You attracted them 10 or 15 years ago. And they were, and, and so, and they were potentially different people 10 or 15 years ago. So, you know, your, your messaging, your targeting could actually gradually drift off target unless you keep reminding yourself of the fact that, look, we're trying to attract these people as they come in. They're still going to be with us 20 years from now, and they'll be different at that point. But we're trying to attract these people in this age bracket and with these, with this, these psychographic characteristics. Absolutely. And, and our offer needs to evolve with those clients as right. they move through those stages of life. So, yeah, de- dead on. Yeah. So can you um, sort of connect the dots between any specific ways that your client service or your client experience would have changed on the basis of this? You've talked about your internal filters, which I'd have to agree is probably one of the most significant things uh, that you can have in place. But is there anything that would be noticeable from the client's perspective? Yeah, I think the things that are most noticeable from the client perspective, and as we talk about this client persona, I mean, these are you know, as Alex mentioned a lot, I mean, these are two very busy people. They're working. They, it's not necessarily easy for them to be coming into our office four times a year to meet with us. Um, they they need to interact with us or engage with us in a different way through different mediums. Um, and so we've really had to evolve and refine and enhance all of our ways of engaging them through video conferencing, through through software, but again, as I mentioned earlier on, maybe we're doing interactive planning with them through a through a screen sharing environment. But there is still that screen sharing environment where we are brainstorming and collaborating with them because that's the other thing, you know. Th- this uh, th- this Hamlin, th- these are people who really want to brainstorm. They want to partner with us. They want to have a conversation and try to figure it out together. It's not just about we're experts who have the advice or the recommendations for them. They really want to hash it out. And so all of that has just led to a different way of engaging clients, you know, just on a, on a different level, partnering with them. It, it strikes me that it must bring an enormous sense of relief in a way to, ha- to be able to filter against that. So if you took something like video conferencing, 
you know, yes, we hear important and inevitably if you're trying to make everyone happy, you end up doing nothing because there's some non-Hamlins who don't want the video conferencing. Does that give you that kind of freedom to just say, no, this is right for this group and that's what needs to drive our decision making? Uh, yes, and 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 that really it, it starts with that. It, it's uh, you know we we exist to be of value to our clients, and so when these particular people say this is how I need to engage with you, um, we get better at it, and that's where we focus our attention. And and frankly, you know, th- there's other clients that we've had for 10, 15, 20 years, and people don't need to engage with us that way, uh, but. Um, the ones who do want to, we need to continue to improve our way of engaging them through that meeting. And so how has uh, getting a better understanding of this uh, client persona affected your marketing and communicate and marketing and messaging strategies? Oh, well, I'll take that one. So um, uh, taking a step back, I think the way I, I would contextualize the impact that having the Hamlins had on our firm uh, and I'll try to make this brief, but it's really in five different areas, marketing being one of them. So marketing, enhancements to our planning offer, enhancements to our portfolio offer, conversations with our referral partners, and then hiring of uh, specific capabilities within our firm. So on the marketing side, the easiest way to think about this is pretty much every registered investment advisor in the Bay Area has a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge on their homepage of their website, <laughs> yep. has a picture of the investment team, talks a lot about ourselves. And it can be very me too, if you read 15 of these things back to back. So, and, and we are in the process of making this enhancement to our marketing. But ideally, what we want is for the Hamlins to show up and and you know, people go to a website to validate that you're a good firm for them. But we want the Hamlins to show up, see our website, and immediately identify, yes, this is the kind of firm that works for me. I see myself in this. I see my concerns being brought to life. Much more about the Hamlins than the classic RIA website, which tends to be about the people at the firm. So, you know, that's that's one component of marketing. But then if you think about outbound marketing, when we go out into the world, we're now not just doing the sort of, you know, sponsor a hole at a golf tournament or, you know, throw a, a, a half page ad in some local magazine sort of blanket advertising. Instead, we can actually be very targeted and say, where do the Hamlins live? What do they care about? What are they reading? What's the best, best place to find them if we want to communicate with them? So we're stages of, of developing all of that marketing messaging. And the other thing that I would share here, um, and not to belabor marketing, but we actually partnered with a firm down in Southern California that helped us refine the messaging to the Hamlins. So they actually interviewed a, a group of our clients who are, we identified as being Hamlin-esque. And then they went out into the world and found 25 non-clients of ours who also fit the demographic of the Hamlins. And they spent significant time interviewing those two groups and really learning not only what mattered to them, but what would be effective language in speaking to them. So then we now have that as our foundational language that we can use in all of these different uh, marketing 
strategies that we put into play. So, you know, that covers marketing. I, I, this is something that I'm very passionate about, so I could talk about the other four implications <laughs> for hours, but I mean, I'll, spare, I'll spare the listeners <laughs> in, unless you want to dig into any of those other areas. Well, what do, I mean, is there another area that you would touch on in particular that just is, is inside this? Because I think it's a great way to categorize it. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do two, and I'll do really quickly. So on referral partnerships, which is, obviously the bread and butter for, for, for most RIAs, when you go out to your referral partners and it's scary to say, hey, this is who we're focused on going forward because it's going to be probably a bit of a departure from the way that referral partner has seen you in the past. But I will tell you, it's been very empowering, those conversations with our COIs and, and you know, we're in a, a, a channel, referral channel as well. Uh, and, and immediately you start to see the kinds of people that you want to work with showing up from your referral partners because most referral partners are thinking, okay, how should I be thinking about the Gallup group? If a human being who walks into my office who looks, sounds, and feels like this kind of person, if we can help them identify that this person is a great fit for us, we're making their job of referring to us much, much easier. So that's been a big one. On the planning offer, and Joe, please hop in on any of this, but on planning, the easiest way that I would, I would uh, describe it is if, if we had identified that our target audience was going to be 85-year-old widowers, then we would probably be focused on planning topics like generational transfer of wealth, long-term care, everything that goes along with that phase of life. If you're focused on clients who are 48 years old, prime earning years, living in the Bay Area, pulled in a thousand different directions, well, we need to have deep domain expertise in RSU income, ESPPs. And then, you know, from a from a more personal human planning standpoint, it's okay, maybe you've got a, a parent who is going to require some financial support from you. How should you be thinking about that? Maybe we need to have a lot more depth into how we work with people for college planning beyond just, hey, start a 529 plan and let's project what private school is going to cost in six years when you're 12 year olds a freshman. H- how can we bring more depth, more expertise? to the specific, well-defined set of concerns that these people are living with. That's that's really where it's showing up on the planning side. I, I love how you're using the persona <clears throat> not only to uh, work on your marketing, but also to refine your service offering, you know, what kinds of things you do for people. But you brought up uh, def- helping to clarify for referral partners who they should be sending over. Have you found that that having a persona and talking about it uh, has affected uh, other kinds of referrals, for example, from other existing clients? Uh, we haven't gone down the path with any, um, you know, strong strategy at this point to take out the, the existing, uh, to take out the, the new target persona to our existing clients because you need to be a little bit delicate there. What we have done, though, and this was another project that we we worked on with the Schwab Consulting Team, is we've worked on having very clear stories that we tell our clients about the types of clients that we're working with, the value that we're adding to their lives, 
And when we're creating those stories, which are obviously all based on existing clients, but when we're choosing the stories that we want to share with our existing clients, we're choosing Hamlin's, of course. So you know, a story may be, hey, we just received this referral from a long-term client of ours. And to Joe's point, it's, you know, the referral was their adult children who are now in their 40s. And first and foremost, that's incredibly rewarding to us to now be working for a second generation for this family. But, you know, the kids are going through these challenges that are very Hamlin kind of challenges. And then we can speak to our existing clients about how we help those referred adult children work through those challenges. So we're beginning to reframe ourselves uh, for our existing clients through that process. Well, and, I, and, you, and you talked about just making, declaring or committing to direction. I think that is the hardest part. And the custodian, I, that happens inside of the firm. I, the custodians that any of us work with have a lot of internal practice management resources that um, you can rely on and leverage. And it's just part of your relationship with them. So you can go there and do that um, if you first internally say, okay, this is what we need to do, or this is what we want to do. And this is why, um, this is why it's important for the people who we serve. Now you as a firm have, are very thoughtful, very strategic, very focused. I mean, I've known that for many years, but I, you know, we hear that coming through. Um, for those advisors who may not have the resources to invest in a marketing firm in this, do you have any thoughts on how they can perhaps get started uh, with the process that you've gone through? I think the biggest uh, investment that any firm makes is the time to sit down, be deliberate through the process, and and make a declaration that you have a path going forward. Yes, it's wonderful that our firm has the resources where we can hire the brand messaging firm and hire the marketing firm. But candidly, if we had just created the Hamlins and then gone out to our referral partners and it was kind of a classic, you know, CPAs and family law attorneys and the kinds of COIs that every RIA works with, if we had just gotten to the point of very clearly communicating this target persona with that group, with minimal hard dollar investment, that in and of itself, I think, would have been a very effective uh, strategy. And I, I think all I'll, all I'll add to that is just the importance of talking with clients and understanding in their language, in their words, from their perspective, how is it that you come through for them and really identifying where you do an especially good job of that and building and building and building on that. Yeah. Well, that, you know, there's a lot of really good information in here and, and there's lots more that we could cover, but uh, we are coming up on time. I, I wanted to thank you both for, for joining us. This has been a really interesting exploration of something that a lot of us are evangelizing and, and very few have the kind of depth of experience that you do. Before we wrap up, do you have any, uh, any specific other advice for uh, our listeners that, that you, we haven't already covered? Well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll piggyback on the point that Julie made. So, yes, our firm is very deliberate and very strategic. And that, again, does not require an investment other than time. And for those listening out there who don't have some structured practice for annual planning and then for revisiting that annual plan quarterly, I would strongly urge people to make that investment of time. Just putting a plan down in, on paper, 
sitting with your colleagues, sitting with the leadership team of your firm and getting clear on what's most important to the firm and then attacking that with purpose, with conviction, with resolution, that I think is the the make or break for any firm that is truly committed to growing, just having the focus and, and having a structure to support that focus. Well, that's that's excellent advice. So yeah, so Joe Martin and Alex Katz, thank you both for joining us on the show. Uh, we really appreciate your time and your willingness to share this great experience with us. Thank you both. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Julie. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.